You can't plan your day around accidents. That's why at your local Leia Health and Wellbeing Clinic in Cherrywood, we're open 10am to 10pm, 365 days a year. So anyone can get consultant-led care within an hour of arrival. For breaks, burns and sprains. It's the expert care you'd expect from Leia Healthcare for the minor injuries and illnesses you never expected. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Urgent care available to all aged 12 months and up. Wellbeing benefits available to Leia Healthcare members. Diagwit, is Mr. Ryan Anshaw. The story for this episode was suggested to us by Corkman in Philadelphia, Peter O'Halloran. Gurv Mahagut Peter. And is Falchagadian scale. Tarishtak. In 1867, a woman called Mary Ann Costello left Ireland at the age of 15. Two years later, a man called John Henry Kelly left Newport in Mayo and made the journey across the Atlantic. Both were children born less than a decade after the end of the Catholic genocide in Ireland, as a great hunger was inflicted upon the people who called the Emerald Isle their home. When both John and Mary stepped foot onto the boats built for cargo and not humans, they were taking the risk of death at sea, rather than to continue to live in Ireland, such were the conditions at the time. Bundled into the belly of timber ships without toilets, windows and using straws for beds, they waited in the dark for six weeks in the hope that first they would survive and second that life might be just about okay on the other side. In the dark, stories were shared and songs were sung as the dead were thrown overboard as and when death arrived. To get on the ships, families tried their best to save just about enough to get one child a ticket. The hope then was that the child would survive and raise enough money on the other side to pay for their siblings to join them in the years that would follow. When John Henry and Mary arrived in America, they met through the Irish community in Philadelphia and married. This story is not specifically about them, however. In 1889, a child was born. His name was John Brendan Kelly. John was one of 10 children born to Irish immigrants in Philadelphia. His parents believed in the new world and that education would be the great liberator of their children. A good education, supported by a strong work ethic, would open doors for anyone, or so they believed. As such, John attended the public schools of Philadelphia during the daylight hours, and by night he attended the Spring Garden Institute. It was between these two forms of education that John learned two key skills. He learned about business and bricklaying. In 1907, he gained a training apprenticeship to become a bricklayer with his brother Patrick's construction firm. Already standing at six foot, two inches, John was quite a large man. 
but it was while working in construction that he began to fill out. Over the next few months, John's hands began to toughen, his shoulders began to broaden, and his arms and legs swelled with muscles. John found that although his work was very physical, he was a bit different to his friends in similar roles. At the end of the day, while they retreated to couches and bed for a rest from the hard labour, he was still filled with what seemed like an endless energy. In order to try and burn it off, John looked into taking up a sport. He joined the Chamonix Rowing Club and then moved on to the Montrose Boat Club. In 1909, he joined the Vesper Boat Club, as in the few years he had been rowing, he was singled out as a man with an incredible natural ability, tremendous strength and unmatchable energy. It became a very common sight to see the massive Irish bricklayer going up and down the Schuylkill River that crosses Pennsylvania. Remarkably, John found it was not just as a rower where his talents lay. He was a natural athlete, and for a time, John was a bricklayer, a rower, a basketball player, a baseball player, and an American footballer. Not only did he compete, he excelled in them all. It was rowing, however, which remained his first love. John began to compete at state level and then in the nationals. By 1916, he was a national champion and recognised as the best scholar in America. In 1917, his sporting career ground to a halt as the nation of his birth came calling and John was invited to the Armageddon as World War I leaked across the borders of Europe. John took his tin hat and his gun and left for war. For the next year, John lived in hell. Physically, he was running through minefields, pulling what remained of his friends to safety, boiling down dead rats to use their fat as oil to cook his dinner, and afraid to sleep in case he was gassed or shot. Mentally, however, John was on his boat, floating up and down the river. In his time at war, he was promoted to the rank of lieutenant. During the rare breaks from the slaughter, the men at war had some avenues for recreation while in Europe. John heard of a boxing tournament which was taking place and figured it couldn't be much harder than any of the other sports he was excelling in. Given his size, John was entered as a heavyweight. In the early rounds, he dispatched all competitors. In the final fight of the tournament, John turned awkwardly on his ankle to avoid a punch from Gene Tunney, the man who would go on to become a professional world champion, and shattered the bones in his ankle. This forced him to retire from the fight, and as a result of his injury, John was discharged from the army and returned home. He would later joke with Tony, 
aren't you glad I broke my ankle? When he returned home, John allowed his ankle to recover as best it could and then jumped straight back into his boat. He quickly regained his dominance in the sport at national level. At this stage, money was beginning to become available for competition winners and John saw this as an opportunity to become somewhat professional. As a backup and to help pay for his training, he also created John B. Kelly Inc., a building contractor. To do this, he got a loan of $7,000 from two of his brothers. His brother George was a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright and his brother Walter was a popular theatre actor. We'll return to their stories another day. John's business took off better than he could have expected. A self-promoter, he coined the term Kelly for Bricks, which was often seen at local construction sites. He was a well-respected man and well-trusted. This made it easy to get jobs. To get paid, however, was another story. Becoming frustrated with how slow people were to pay him, and therefore slowing down his ability to pay his own men, John came up with a unique way to guarantee a quick payment from his clients. Into every chimney shaft they built, John's men inserted a single pane of glass. This would go unnoticed during the sale of the house and when the prospective buyers were being shown round by the realtors. When the sale would go through and the realtor was paid, John would often be left waiting by the realtor for his cut. That was until, however, the new homeowner would use the fireplace for the first time and light a fire. Within minutes, the house would fill with smoke, being pushed back down the chimney because of the pane of glass. When the realtor would then contact John to confront him on the matter, John would simply tell them, we'll fix the problem once your check clears. When the money then did come in, John and his men would simply climb upon the roof of the house in question and drop a rock down the chimney shaft, smashing the pane of glass and solving the problem. Whilst still rowing and running his now successful business, John began to play American football again, and in 1919 he was approached to become professional. For two seasons he played for the Holmesbury Athletic Club and won two Philadelphia City Championships. John's best moment in their jersey came against a team from Camden, New Jersey, where he scored three touchdowns in the first quarter of the game. In the same two years he played professional football, John won 126 single-skull rowing races in a row. In that winning streak, he won six national championships. Being the picture boy for the sport, John applied to compete in the Diamond Skulls event at the Henley Royal Regatta in London. This was the most prestigious event in rowing. However, it had rules to rule out the likes of you and me, as well as John. 
Rules about dress codes, rules about dining, rules about stature, rules about who you were. John's application to compete was dismissed, as although he was a serial champion, his qualification as a bricklayer disqualified him from being able to compete. It would not be very proper for the organisers of the event to let an Irish bricklayer compete in front of King George V, who would be in attendance. By the time he discovered he could not compete, John was already in London ready to go, as he did not receive the letter before leaving Philadelphia. Outraged, John took it upon himself to qualify for the 1920 Olympics in Belgium instead. At the time, John stated himself, I'll go to the Olympics now for sure. I want to get a crack at the man who wins the Diamond Skulls. John eased through the heats and found himself in the final with the man who won the Diamond Skulls event, British scholar Jack Beresford. The two were neck and neck for the entire race in what today is still recognised as the closest rowing event in Olympic history. As they entered the final stretch, the two couldn't be separated. That was until John left out an almighty roar and pushed harder than ever before. He won the race by a single second. Truly exhausted for the first time in his life, 30 minutes later John was back in the water again with his cousin Paul Costello for the double skull event. Here John and Paul took home gold. We'll return to Paul's story on another occasion. John's achievement of winning two gold medals in rowing in a single day has not yet been matched by any Olympic rower since. After the Olympics, John returned home, successful but still bitter about the Henley event. When he got back, John took his racing cap from his bag and put it into a parcel. On the parcel, he placed a note and posted it from his local post office. The woman at the post office till was shocked by the address on the parcel and questioned the sanity of John. John assured her that he was mentally fine and he knew what he was doing. The note simply said, Greetings from a bricklayer. It was addressed to Buckingham Palace and for the attention of King George. Four years later, John qualified for the Olympics in Paris. Here, John and Paul retained their double skull title. This made John the first rower to win three Olympic gold medals. After some more national events, John retired from sport and began to become involved in politics. His contracting business also continued to boom and John became an incredibly wealthy man. In politics, he became the chairman of the Philadelphia County Democratic Party and ran for mayor of Philadelphia, narrowly missing out to his Republican opponent. He went on to be a commissioner and president of the Fairmount Park Commission. 
1941, President of America Franklin Roosevelt chose John as the National Physical Fitness Director, a post he held throughout World War II. It was John's responsibility to ensure all those who went to war were physically ready for it through the programs he designed. John also served as the President for American Rowing. Today he is the only rower in the United States Olympic Hall of Fame. He is also a member of the United States Rowing Hall of Fame, being inducted on the same day as his son John Jr. This brings me on to John's personal life. In 1924, after John's second Olympics, John married his long-term girlfriend, the daughter of German immigrants, Margaret Meyer. Margaret was a Lutheran but converted to Catholicism before their marriage as it was important to John's parents that their children be Catholic, honouring the Irish who were persecuted for their beliefs. Together, John and Margaret had four children. Margaret Jr. was born in 1925. Elizabeth was born in 1933. John Jr. was born in 1927 and went on to represent the United States at four Olympic Games in rowing and won the Henley Regatta, the event his bricklaying father had been banned from. As well as winning gold at international events, he won a bronze medal at the 1956 Olympics in Melbourne and as mentioned he was inducted into the United States Rowing Hall of Fame. Grace was born in 1929. The name Grace on its own may not mean a lot to you, but what if I said her full name? Grace Kelly went on to star in such movies as Hitchcock's Rear Window, High Noon, To Catch a Thief and Dial M for Murder. She won Best Actress in the 1955 Oscars. In 1956, Grace married Prince Rainier of Monaco. Together, they had a son called Albert II. Today, Albert is the Sovereign Prince of Monaco. The prince whose mother was Hollywood royalty. The prince whose grandfather was a bricklayer. And the prince whose great-grandparents each survived six weeks in the belly of coffin ships in the hope that life might be just about okay on the other side. In 1970, John suffered from intestinal cancer and passed away in his home. Today's music was written, produced and performed by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. The story was researched and scripted by Oren. If you want to help to support this podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash we the Irish or leave us a review on your podcast app. Ryan Isanam Dunn, Gurav Mahakat, Slananish.